Reeling from all the terrible news, but not sure how to take action? I'm Kelly. I'm Lila. And this is What Can I Do? Each week, we interview activists about how they took action, what got them started, who helped them along the way, and what they do differently next time. In the process, we offer concrete advice on how to take the leap from freaking out on Twitter to making a difference. So let's get started. Hi, everyone. I am Kelly Pollock, and this is What Can I Do, the podcast where we help you get off of Twitter and into action. So I am joined, as always, with my co-host, Lila Nordstrom. So hello, Lila. Hey, Kelly. We're very excited today because we have the president of Emerge, which is an organization both of us have been following for a long time, Ashanti Golar. I will let you tell us who you are and what you do at Emerge, and then we'll chat a little bit about action. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for having me and congratulations on the podcast. So important for us to have these conversations because when I was coming up as a young Black girl in politics, I really didn't know how to get involved. So I love when we're able to have these conversations I'm Ashanti Golar. I am the president of Emerge. It is the premier organization that recruits and trains Democratic women to run for office. I came to the organization in 2006 as a co-founder and founding board member of Emerge Nevada. I was really excited about the work that Emerge was going to do on the ground, building infrastructure and having a long-term plan to change the face of politics in my home state. So I got super involved when it came to our state. Fast forward to 2016, I was in DC and Emerge posted a job description for a political director. I was at the Democratic National Committee at that time. And so much of my work focused on women in the Office of Community Engagement because women are the base of the base of the Democratic Party. So I wanted to make sure I was putting my attention there. And it was just a perfect next step for me to go to Emerge. So it was the only job that I applied for. I really wanted it. I became the organization's first political director in 2016. And now I am celebrating six years formally at the national organization as a staffer. And I've gotten to also oversee our strategic planning and vision for the next 15 years. We call it Emerge 2035. And we are centering on women of the new American majority. That includes Black, Brown, and Indigenous women, young women, unmarried women, and LGBTQ women. These are the voters that are propelling democratic victories across the country. And we just don't want all the women of the new American majority just to be voters. We want for them to be an elected office so we can build a truly inclusive democracy. So we're centering our work there. We also are focusing on lift as we climb. We've trained over 5,000 women to run for office. Over half of them have been elected to office, and we currently have 1,000 serving in elected office. So we are focusing on making sure that they run for higher office and being really strategic about having them reach back and recruit another Emerge alum to run for the seat that they're vacating. Otherwise, we lose progress. So they have the old boys club. I like to say we're building the new girls network by doing what they do, but we're going to do it better. And then repowering political structures is our third focus. If you look at the top 10 states that have the most women serving in state houses, Emerge has affiliates in nine out of 10 of those states. 
and Nevada, Oregon, New Mexico, and Colorado have majority women chambers due to eMERGE alums. So for us is making sure that, yes, we have women in all of these legislative bodies, but I really want to make sure that we're also building majority women legislative bodies, because that's how you truly repower political structures and transform politics at the state, local, and national level. And I'm really excited to continue to see all the great work that Emerge is going to do because of all the fabulous women we're able to recruit and train and bring into our fabulous network. So we like to ask people, did you come from a political family? And I I know the answer already for you, but you have one of my favorite stories of all time about how you got interested in politics. So how did you get interested in politics and sort of get your start? A hundred percent not from a political family. And thank you for asking me to tell my story because I feel it is important because there's kind of just this image that not only to be an elected official, but someone who works in politics, that you had to come from a certain family, a certain background. Basically, you have to have connections to be able to succeed in politics. And I did not have any of those things my family not political, they voted, that was all. And just one day when I was younger, I was watching TV with my mom and she got up to go somewhere and I do what young kids do. I changed the channel to what I wanted to watch. And that is when I discovered C-SPAN. I was like, (laughs) what is happening here? We just had all these people arguing and fighting about wanting to make our country better. And I'm just all, who needs these kids shows? I can just watch it. (laughs) I got geography. I got to learn where all the states are. You got to count votes. You got debate. So I became enamored with this thing called politics. I didn't know that was the name for it. But even at that young age, watching everyone who was in the Senate, in Congress, I didn't see a lot of people that look like me. I didn't see a lot of women. I didn't see a lot of people of color. So that immediately makes you think, is this even for me? Can I truly belong to this thing that I see happening? But I stayed engaged with my love of politics and I had an amazing government teacher, Mrs. King, who was politically engaged and she just knew everybody. So she brought in two of the candidates that were running for U.S. Senate that year. And for me, my issue was a minimum wage. I worked a part-time job to have extra money. I had friends that worked jobs to have money to support their families. And just overall, I felt people should be making more money. I asked the Democratic candidate his position on the minimum wage. I already knew it. Of course, he was for it. And I'm like, you're my guy. (laughs) I asked the Republican candidate why he voted not to raise the minimum wage in Congress. And he says, oh, no, I voted to raise it. I said, you didn't. He said, I did. I said, you didn't. And he starts (laughs) arguing with me. I'm like, sir, I can check your voting record. You did not vote for it. And he says to me, you are wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. And being a young teenage high school girl, I said to him, you know what? You're not that hot. Your tie's ugly and I hope you lose. (laughs) So the next day my teacher calls me over and I'm just, oh no, I'm in trouble now. And she said that the Republican candidate called her and admitted that he had lied to me. He did not like the fact that I had called him out. (laughs) So immediately I'm like, because I'm young, because I'm a girl, because I can't vote. And all of those things were true. 
I was a young girl who couldn't vote, but I could volunteer. So every free moment that I had, I volunteered for the Democrat for that U.S. Senate race. And he ended up winning that race by less than 500 votes. And that was Senator Harry Reid, who, when I got involved in politics, I was able to form a great relationship with. He became a huge supporter of mine with whatever I was doing. And that showed me the power that we have as people in this country, even if we're not of voting age yet. I was still able to influence other people's votes. And that's something that we should always keep in mind is how are we talking to other people about why this issue, why this race, why this candidate is so important? Because a lot of people still go into the voting booth and they may know who they're voting for for Congress or who they're voting for for the statewide, but they really don't even know these local elected officials. And when we have 520,000 elected offices in this country, and most of them are at the state and local level, those are the people we really need to be paying attention to and the ones that we need to be talking to our networks about why we need them in elected office. You kind of started to touch on this, but when you, you know, after this, this triumphant moment, when you were able to check an elected official on their voting record and you thought to yourself, I could I could get involved. What did you actually do to find these volunteer opportunities? How did you find the candidates that you wanted to work for? Like what were the choices that you made to actually jump into the ring? So for me, it was definitely women candidates were my priority. And I did college Dems and young Democrats, which I think was a really great opportunity to learn more about politics, to meet elected officials, and to hear their story too. So I was doing college Democrats and young Democrats that got me connected to the Democratic National Committee because I became national vice president of the college Democrats, doing young Democrats of Nevada. I was the first woman president of the young Democrats of Nevada, the first black person to lead the young Democrats of Nevada. And y'all, that was in 2006. And that organization <laughs> had formed in the 1960s. So we even mm. have to do at our young Dems and college Dems level. But that got me involved with the Democratic Party. And doing Young Democrats in Nevada, I became secretary of the Nevada Democratic Party. So I really just went to the party. And that is what worked for me. For some people, it may be going to an organization, which is great, too, if you want to go to a Planned Parenthood or a NARAL or a League of Conservation Voters they endorse candidates, they support candidates. So if your issue is reproductive justice, if it's healthcare, if it's the environment, find those organizations and you can start volunteering there. But I didn't really wait for anyone to come and say, hey, we need your help. I learned like, okay, these are the opportunities. And I went and sought out those opportunities which in turn led to me getting my first job offers. I had no idea these people were watching me and would want for me to work <laughs> for them. 
I volunteered a lot for Congresswoman Shelley Berkeley. She was our only woman member of Congress in the state, our highest ranking woman in the state. And when I graduated from college, she reached out to me and basically said, you know, you're doing this work for me for free anyway. I might as well pay you. Do you want to be my field director? I'm like, yes, I I would like to get paid to do this very much. So that is how I got my first job in Nevada. And my first job in D.C. came again from women who I didn't know were watching me, who said that there was a new political director at the DNC and he needed an assistant. And they thought I had the perfect personality to work with him. (laughs) It turns out I did. I love that man, David Boundy. He was my first boss in D.C. and I still keep in touch with him. But I think that's something very important to keep in mind is even when you're volunteering, I just did volunteering, giving giving it my all, you know, 100%. I wasn't too good for anything. I'll take out the trash. I'll vacuum the floors. I'll put out the water. And people are watching and they're looking, especially those people who are making the investment in training up the next generation that are always looking for a good talent. And that's what I do now. I reach out to people and they're like, I had no idea you even knew my name. <laughs> I'm like, well, I do. I've been watching. <laughs> so uh, one of the things Emerge does, or sort of the main thing Emerge does is this training program. And it's intense. It's 70 hours of training for women who are running for office So what are the kinds of sort of practical things that people need to learn about as they're running for office? What are the things that people might not even realize they need to know if they're thinking about running for office? When it comes to running for office, not everyone is Beyonce. They don't wake up like this and know exactly everything that they need to do to run for office, especially women. The majority of women get that voice in their head like, Can I do this? Am I good enough? Do I have the right look? Do I have the perfect family? What about my job? I even had a woman tell me one time that she wasn't going to run for office until she raised her credit score because she thought that you had to have a credit score of 800 at least to run for office. And I said, what made you think that? And of course, she says, well, all the people I see that are elected officials, you know, they got this educational background, they got money, and that's not me. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, it's sometimes it's deeper than I thought with how the images of elected officials impact those that want to run for office. But the first thing that we're saying at Emerge is we see you, we want you, we know that you can be a great elected official. Let us teach you. People like to say all the time, well, what are the qualities that someone has to have to want to run for office? The first quality that you have is to want to run for office and to want to make change. And at Emerge, we'll teach you how to do it. You come into the program, we talk about where do you go to file for the race that you want to run for? You have to find campaign staff. Where do you find these people that you're about to spend a whole bunch of time with and get very personally close with? Where do you find them? How do you put together your campaign plan? How do you raise money? 
concerns about public speaking. We demystify all of it and we do it in a setting where you're with other like-minded women. So there's no judgment. You have women who have made the same decision and want to embark on the same journey as you. So we also take away that loneliness because when you do decide to run, not only do you have the Emerge Network in the state, you have it across the country. So I like to tell our alums that we trained over 5,000 women to run for office. So you have 5,000 women who you don't even know who are rooting you on. So we really just spend that time together, getting the women informed on what it takes to run for office, because I fundamentally believe everyone has it inside them. We just put that polish on it. You just talked a little bit about how you don't really need like a specific personality type or skill set to run for office. You just have to kind of want to run for office. You have to want to make the change. I'm curious, sort of in your own experience, how you figured out what avenue you wanted to pursue politically. Was it just that you kind of pursued jobs that you became aware of and became available to you? Or did you think to yourself, I have certain skills. I am looking to sort of employ those skills in certain ways. I see myself being effective in these particular ways. And so this is how I'm going to pursue a career in politics. Well, I am very much an introvert, which shocks people that I do this, but there are lots of introverts in politics. Stacey Abrams, she is an introvert. So you don't have to be this extremely extroverted, like outgoing person. You have to be your authentic self. I think that is the biggest thing when you want to run for office. And if you want to get into politics, I had so many people who would say I had to change who I was if I wanted to be successful. And there was this one woman, they said, you need to be like her. She's great. She's going places. And in my mind, I'm like, that person is a complete and total whole asshole. I'm <laughs> to be like them at all. I just want to be a Shanti. And where that takes me is where that takes me. And clearly it's taken me pretty far, but I knew that I wanted to do engagement. I knew I wanted to be with people. I knew I wanted to be on the political side. And it's still something that I get to do as president of Emerge, really engaging with women and dealing with politics But the first thing is always your why, even if you're running for office, if you want to get involved in politics, again, it goes back to your why and what interests you, what skill sets do you have? We need people who have accounting backgrounds in politics. Frankly, we need more of them. And like, it takes me so long to hire for our accounting department. I'm like, where's my accounting people that love politics at? You need to do compliance. So even if you are interested in the legal side of things, but don't want to go to law school, you can do that with organizations. There's the field work. If you want to be out meeting people, there's communications. There's finance with talking to donors. There's so many things that you can do so you can find a job that relates to your interests. You definitely don't want to do anything where you would be absolutely miserable. For me, I am not an expert on foreign policy. It's one of the many things I love about Secretary Clinton. I'm like, you go. You know all these (laughs) countries and players. 
it's not my strong suit. So I would never accept a job where I have to do foreign policy. I really wouldn't be that great at it and I would be miserable. So finding that uh, area that makes you really happy and you may have to try out a few things. Mm -hmm. It's one of the things I tell our younger staffers here at Emerge. We've had people who have moved to different departments because they've been able to build up their skills and we have an opening and they want to try something else. So even if you love the organization that you are working for, go try out roles in different departments and you'll find what you want to do. And it may be that you just hop between certain things. You may be in the comms department then you're in the political department. But that's the biggest thing is take the interest that you have and connect that to finding the opportunity that's right for you. So you've talked a lot about mental health and the importance of mental health. And I know, you know, over the past two plus years, a lot of people have, have struggled with mental health. And so how, how do you and how do women that you've talked to who are involved in politics sort of balance that constantly hit with these bad things that are happening in politics, but needing to protect yourself and also, you know, being active? is so real. And when women are deciding to run for office, I say, you have to think about the personal things that you're going to need, the professional things that you're going to need, but also your mental health. It is wild out there, especially with social media. You just have people who think they can say whatever without any consequences. And for a lot of women, this turns them off. It makes them not want to run for office. And 99% of the time, these people are just trying to scare women. It's part of the tactic not to get women to run for office and to have the status quo. We're just going to make it so miserable for you, but it is extremely hard. And when we talk about mental health, all the time you hear people talk about like your spa day or going to get you know a medi and petty. And I think that's great, but it's also, how are you setting your tone for the day? Like for me, I love skincare. The first thing that I do every morning is I do my skincare routine. That is how I relax myself. That is how I set the tone for the day. And even if I have a really crappy day, I know that I did something for myself. I did my skincare. It's important to close the computer and turn off the phone for 10 minutes. I'm still working for home a majority of the time, so I will not eat lunch at my desk. And I try not to eat during meetings because I also don't want to set that example for my team that, oh, you need to be eating and working during your meetings. And like definitely do other healthy things with like exercising. I do Pilates, that's important, meditation, but I also have a really great therapist and I'm not scared to say that. We talk once a week, every Monday, me and Joy is, it's wonderful. So we shouldn't be shamed about the fact that we're still trying to survive and thrive in this crazy, crazy world that we have to take care of ourselves. And that looks like different things. And it goes back to, you have to find out what is going to make you feel good? What do you need for that day? It's not what you need for the week or for the month. You have to find a moment every day for yourself is so important. And I'm just very lucky that 
I'm doing emerge during this time because that is what has kept me going. Seeing all of our amazing alums and the work that they do, they've been my inspiration these past two years. Including my favorite emerge alum, Deb Holland. Yes, our first <laughs> cabinet secretary. We love us. Deb, Deb also on my wall. <laughs> I think that's such an important point because I think a lot of the time people think, you know, when they're feeling really helpless and hopeless, they think that getting further engaged in the system that is making them feel that way will make them feel more helpless and hopeless. And that's rarely the case. I'm curious because I know, like, in my experience, the Emerge alums that I know or have met in California often come from community activist backgrounds and they're transitioning into more traditional political roles. I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about some of the challenges of that transition, I think, you know, there's there's a certain amount of freedom in being a community mm -hmm. activist. You're answering for your community, but you're not really answering for any sort of like larger powers. I know that a few of them have spoken to me about some of those challenges. And I'm curious to hear sort of what you guys do to prepare people who've been working in, you know, local capacities to enter a more traditional, a more structured political environment. Well, I honestly think activists make some of the best elected officials and is part of why we have our strategy at Emerge of having affiliates being out there in the communities, recruiting these women to run, to want to run for office because most people aren't asking them and they're not thinking about it themselves. But it definitely is a switch to go from being kind of on the outside doing the work to on the inside. So the biggest question you have to ask yourself is, do you want to give that up? There will still be moments of activism. And we see that with so many of our members of Congress who have been open about their experiences, having an abortion, dealing with being unhoused, you know, and other issues. That is still activism, speaking up about what you have experienced, how it's driven you to introduce this piece of legislation, why you're focusing right now on what this community has to deal with is still there. You just approach it in a different way. And I don't think you should ever just wipe yourself clean of the <laughs> activism in you because it's also what is going to make people be able to relate to you. The fact that you came from the same background as them, that this isn't your first time in the community knocking doors because you're running for office. You've knocked these doors before for this ballot measure or to collect these signatures or to inform the community to come out for this event. It is without a doubt a switch. You're just an activist at a higher and different level is how I like to think about it. And we absolutely talk about that because when you're running for office, all of those traits that you had as an activist, you still need them. One thing I want to talk about too is you uh, you also host the the Brown Girls Guide to Politics podcast. And I, I wonder if you could talk just a little bit about the specific barriers that women of color face in getting involved in politics, you know, either in, in the sort of activist realm or running for office. And what what you would say to sort of encourage them to to really, you know, sort of say, no, I really need this is a place that needs to have my voice. What propelled me to start the Brown Girl's Guide is 
I was on my way to the airport early one morning and I got an email from a young woman who was interested in politics, but didn't know where to start. And I just get so many of those emails when I'm out speaking at conferences and conventions, young people come up to me and they're like, I want to do it. I just don't know how to do it. And that resonates because that was me, you know, and I was very lucky to have women invest in me. And I always want to invest in women too. So I just started thinking, what could I do to help all of these women, frankly, just see that they can be in politics? Where can I create that representation? So I just started thinking, well, I could do a blog and I could get some of my friends to write about their experiences dealing with being a woman of color in politics. So I emailed a whole bunch of my friends and I basically said to them, so, hey, you want to join me in putting all of our business out on the internet about how hard it is being a woman of color in politics? And so many of them said yes. So the Brown Girls Guide started off as a blog and we did a blog series called Being the Only Brown Girl in the Room. And it's still our most popular blog series to date, where we really talk about the various challenges that we face how we've overcome them, and how we still overcome them. And with that blog series, we had so many people say, I would like to hear more about this. Can you have conversations about this? And that is what led to the podcast being created so we could reach more women of color who are in politics, who want to be in politics, or who just love politics. And they get to hear from the everyday women about their journey and what they have done to be where they are. And we don't sugarcoat it. We still talk very much about the hard things, the challenges, the days when you're like, you know what? I just want to peace out. Y'all can save yourselves. This is just ridiculous. But that's really why the BGG started to create that representation for women of color. And always warms my heart when people come up and tell me about their favorite episode or episode that they listen to. And young women will tag me in their Instagram, you know, uh, stories. And they're like, just got my first job in politics, binge listen to the entire Brown Girls Guide to Politics podcast to get me ready. I'm so grateful for this. Or had a rough day at the office, but took what I learned from listening to so-and-so on the Brown Girls Guide. So even just the fact that it's able to have an impact in that way by making those young women feel less lonely is just really, really exciting to me. So those barriers exist. They're real. And I feel especially as women of color in politics, Black women in politics, where we get the brunt of it, we have to talk about it. I'm honest about the fact that, yes, I'm a Black woman leading a merge, but that doesn't mean that I don't deal with racism and anti-Blackness. I do. It follows you wherever you are, no matter what title you have. Thank you so much for joining us, Ashanti. This was a really, I think, informative, but also kind of inspirational talk. Where where can people find your work on the internet? Where can people find Emerge? And also, if people want to run for office and want to register for an Emerge training, yes. um, how do they do that? 
you can visit the Emerge website, emergeamerica.org, to find out our trainings in states and our national trainings as well. You can keep up with what we're doing on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Emerge America. And I am on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ashanti Golar. And the Brown Girls Guide is on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at the BG Guide. And our website is thebgguide.com. Excellent. We will put links in the show notes so people can find those too. So Ashanti, thank you so much. This was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you both. This was so much fun. Thanks for listening to What Can I Do? You can find show notes and credits for this episode at whatcanidopodcast.com. To the best of our knowledge, all audio used by What Can I Do is in the public domain or used with permission. Original artwork is by Matthew Wefflin and used with express permission. You can find us on Twitter at WhatCanIDoPod. To contact us with questions or guest suggestions, please email hello at WhatCanIDoPodcast.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review and tell your friends.